Hello and welcome to the Thriving Abroad Together podcast series and episode 19. I'm Louise Wiles, an expat change and transition coach and your host for these conversations. Thank you for joining me today. I hope that wherever you are in the world, you're staying safe and healthy in these quite extraordinary times. Now, over the past weeks, I've been recording and publishing this series. And in the series, I'm speaking to a range of amazing professionals who have perspectives, insights and advice to share that I hope will support you and your loved ones through this challenging time. You can go and take a look at the past interviews on the Thriving Abroad website, clicking on the tab Thriving Abroad Together podcast series. For each episode, there are handy show notes which contain a summary of the key takeaways from each conversation and all the links and resources mentioned during the conversation. Or you can sign up to receive the regular newsletter and I'll send you links to download a document containing all the show notes so far. So on to today's podcast episode. You know, we see a lot written about resilience these days. And many hours of training in companies is devoted to creating resilient employees and leaders. And hopefully that training will have paid dividends in these past weeks, as we've all been called at different times and in different ways to dig deep and adapt to incredible changes. But what actually is resilience? How do we manage it, develop it and get the best from ourselves in order to cope through difficult times and come out stronger on the other side. Today I speak to Linda Jansen, author of The Emotionally Resilient Expat. Linda shares her experience and insights into what resilience is and is not and how we can enhance it in ourselves. Enjoy the conversation. So hello Linda and really warm welcome to the Thriving Bull podcast and to this conversation. It's great to have you joining us today. Thank you. I appreciate having you having me. Well, it's, it's really lovely to talk to you again, Linda. And um, I know just to give everyone a bit of context, can you can you tell us where you're speaking to from and you know what 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 situation what is the COVID nineteen situation? Um, with you at the moment. Okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm in uh, uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, which is on the East Coast. Um, uh, it's the one of the southern states, not deep south, but uh, sort of mid-Atlantic uh, southern state. Yeah. Uh, and uh, COVID-19 is um, currently... Uh, held at bay here because uh, we were able to learn a lot of lessons, not only from other countries, uh, but also from uh, areas in the United States, other states and, and cities mm-hmm. uh, where it started. And that ha- that additional time has allowed people to, our medical folks and health healthcare folks to make uh, considerable uh, efforts uh, to prepare for it. Uh, so we're all uh, under staying at home, isolation, uh, only going out as absolutely needed. And mm-hmm. people are complying. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, so far, it's really helping quite a bit. Uh, but as with everyone else, um, questions of resurgence or how you sort of open up societies, uh, again, is, uh, you know, it's going to take time. And I think That's the most cool. important thing 
is that, and why I'm so thrilled that we're having our conversation is that um, it really is uh, a monumental change in our world. And, and we're seeing not only the health issues related to a global pandemic um, and how they're addressed across cultures uh, by everyone, and, but we're also seeing the economic uh, uh, responses to that and, and the implications. And so you know, this is a very, very um, new territory for most of us and uh, all, the more, all the more reason to be talking about resilience. Yes. I appreciate So I appreciate this. <laughs> well, no, we appreciate the opportunity to talk about resilience as well. I mean, I, I think, of course, the big challenge at the moment is, is this pandemic. But I imagine people listening who are internationally mobile will have faced a whole range of challenging situations at various points in their lives, not least the challenge of relocation, transition and adjustment to new lives in different locations. But then, you know, uh, perhaps more localised challenges in terms of security and economic challenge and, um, and political unrest and so on around the world, you know, that have been you know, the, the norm of the expat um, world in terms of the challenges people have to face. So um, I guess challenge and some element of adversity is not unusual for, for the internationally mobile, is it? Um, but oh. it yeah, takes it to a whole new scale, I think. It does. It, it does, but I think you're absolutely right, and uh, I think that we can all take from that some solace that we, you know, we do have experience in, you know, complexity and change, and uh, and so, uh, you know, you know, we can draw upon that, and in ways that sometimes other people uh, can't, not you know, immediately. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm a great believer in sort of looking at back and thinking about what supported us through other challenges and difficult times and what strengths we've used in those situations and then playing those forwards. So um, that's you know, a positive. <laughs> which to start Absolutely. Shall we? So um, let's just start by perhaps talking and defining emotional resilience so that we all know what we're talking about as the conversation progresses okay and that'd be great i i use the psychological definition of emotional resilience um, because i feel that it it, it really uh, encompasses all forms of resilience and so it's defined as the psychological ability to adapt to significant challenges setbacks um, everyday stresses but crises and misfortunes that life throws our way and the key to it is while maintaining or what's more likely while returning to a positive view of oneself and uh, you know that can be very challenging uh, and I think what, when you think of emotional resilience, what I think of is it's a combination of managing some form of transition or levels of transitions, and then which cause you to have to adapt to change, and then growing from the adversity that comes out of that. And that growth is, you know, can be over time. This is not to imply that it's, you know, this instantaneous thing or that I just decide I'm going to be more resilient. Um, it, you know, it, this, it takes time because you're internally processing events as well as physically living them. 
yeah. but what I think is really helpful to keep in mind is that, I mean, we don't appreciate it during, but in periods of the greatest transition and change, which means greatest uncertainty, greatest difficulty, we are experiencing or we have the potential to experience and come out of that with the greatest growth. Um, mm -hmm. So we, it's, it's uncomfortable when we're in it, uh, but we will appreciate coming out on the other side and we'll come out when we come out feeling stronger, that that is our resilience kicking in. And uh, as you and I both know and have talked about, cross-cultural life adds additional layers of complexity and change to this. Uh, but it also gives people experience they can draw on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. So, um and one thing that I've always wondered about resilience is, do we have a baseline level of resilience? Um, are we all equipped with it in a similar way? Um, yes. Or is it yes, I, I believe absolutely. And it differs for each of us. And so, uh, you know, this is really, it's very personalized uh, because it's a, it's a function of uh, our personality, our preferences, our experiences. Um, it's both nature and nurture. And so I think it's important that when we talk about resilience, we don't talk simply to sort of this standard. There is no standard. Um, but, you know, there's a tendency to talk about, you know, um, always operating at a high level of resilience. And that's not uh, th that's not likely. Um, and everybody differs. And that's why I like to talk about what resilience is and what it isn't, because what it isn't, I think, is it can be very important for people um, to take away from it. So mm -hmm. we all have some level, and uh, nature, experience, culture, all play into that personality, um, all, you know, it, 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 so it's different for, you know, for you and I in, in our natural state or our current state. There's a baseline, but it can be, that baseline can be maintained. It can be increased. And during and after, you know, moments or periods of time of extreme change and transition, it can be replenished. It takes time, but it can be replenished. And I think that's a really hopeful, positive thing to keep in mind. When we're in our lowest times, when we are thinking about, we're, we're concerned about, you know, our livelihood, our, our children, uh, you know, we're grappling with a family in isolation or um, families that are separated, you know, we have, to, we have to be kind to ourselves. So we need resilience at all times, but as you can imagine, <laughs> we need it more in certain times than others. And there are times when, you know, a crisis hits and, you know, our, our, our reserves are low. And mm -hmm. I think that's where it's important to remember that uh, you hear a lot of uh, talk um, about um, surviving, moving from surviving to thriving. And what I think is really important is in between survive and thrive is the need to revive uh, because that's exactly what you're doing when you come out on the other side. But I, I think that when people think about the, when, when an event or a set of circumstances 
is so difficult uh, that it almost makes you stop and think of a before and after. So for many of us, mm -hmm. the pandemic is like that. But it also can be from, um, you know, difficult life ages or stages, um, mm -hmm. losing a job, uh, becoming divorced, um, you know, having uh, a family member uh, diagnosed with a physical um, illness, uh, disease, or, or, or a mental health challenge, or ourselves, you know, when we, when we go through, you know, accident, sudden death, all of that, when we, when we experience that, we know intuitively, okay, things are different, I, I need to uh, focus and act differently, uh, you know, and we stop worrying or giving less time to worrying about how things were going to be. And we focus in the now. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's really important. Um, and, uh, and again, remembering that uh, resilience is grounded in growth and change. So as you're going through these difficulties, you know, eventually, eventually you'll have the perspective to look back that, and see growth and change. But during that growth and change, you're experiencing grief, loss, uncertainty, fear, a lot of negative emotions. It's all natural and it's to be expected. Yeah. So, so it sounds to me like, so ebbs and flows, and I certainly feel that myself. So some days I feel more resilient and able to deal with what's happening around me, but then all on a wider scale as well. And other days, not so much. So it's kind of a, a movable feast, I guess. So there's that kind of that big picture that at the end we'll have a feeling about, yeah, we were resilient and we got through this and we learned from it. But as we're moving through it as well, our resilience is kind of ebbing and flowing over time. Would that be Absolutely. a assessment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we're feeling some days that we're not coping as well as we are on others, then that's totally normal and natural. And that's why I think it's really important. One of the things that, um, you know, I've been working in resilience for over a decade. Mm. And one of the things that I, I, I know I put it in my book uh, when it came out, but I think that has risen to the top uh, of, in terms of importance is above all practicing kindness to ourselves and others. Mm. So that gets into the whole idea that, you know, if resilience is growth and change and something that we have to deal with, you know, to, to survive, um, and then work on reviving uh, to eventually hope to, you know, hopefully to, to thrive. Mm. It is not a weakness or if, you know, if you have low reserves, it is not a weakness. It's not a, a moral failing. It's not some form of lack that um, you should, you should worry about. It's the situation and, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and we go from there. And you know, the other thing is that when we think about, when we talk about, okay, so how do we enhance resilience? How do we restore it? It's different for everyone, and it's so important to take into consideration your interests, your preferences, uh, your cultural background. Uh, they all matter. Uh, so it's unique to you, and what works for you may not work for someone else. And, you know, similarly, with everyone out there saying, do this, do that, no, I think it's more important that you find what you need to do. We can, we can give suggestions on areas. And that's what I like to focus on. 
but it's really up to the individual to develop, okay, this is what works for me. This is what works for my situation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's ongoing. I mean, we, this, is, this is how we spend our lives. And, and so kind of making peace with that, eventually it becomes comforting, like, okay, I can get through this. So it almost sounds to me like it is a bit of a choice as well. It's a decision. Absolutely. To, I suppose, a choice on a number of levels, isn't it? It's a, it's a choice that you will allow yourself to experience the situation and um, have that sense of self-compassion um, and allow yourself mm-hmm. to grieve or to feel low at various points, um, recognising that's all part of the process. But it's also a, a choice to then decide, right, I'm going to shake myself down and get on with this. Is that something you would you observed in others and would agree? Um, you know, it's, it's a choice Absolutely. in how we handle it. It is, it is. Yeah. And I think you said it beautifully. It's choices at, at every level. And I, and I think we shouldn't worry... If, if we're struggling with the initial, you know, um, you know, we talk about, oh, embrace change. Well, not everybody embraces change. And so we, again, it's that self-empathy, that self-compassion, being kind to ourselves on, okay, I, you know, we know ourselves and, you know, are working toward acceptance of I'm in this situation, I'm in these circumstances, or this has happened, and you know, how do I pick up the pieces? The whole concept of of, of any change model is it, it, it it's there's there's multiple um, steps to it. One thing that has also occurred to me as you were talking that perhaps it's also our our view of the world, and so is there a connection to people who are more optimistic, who have a more positive outlook on life, having a higher level of resilience or not? Am I just making a guess at that? <laughs> I, you know, I think that we tend to think that. Uh, and I would leave that to cross-cultural psychologists doing research to answer that. My gut feeling is I, let me say this. I come from coming from the American culture. We have this preoccupation with uh, this fixation. We think, you know, we believe we can manage time. It's a resource. Um, and that has spun into um, this, this intense focus, preoccupation craze with, you know, productivity, efficiency, improving ourselves, you know, dropping bad habits, you know, developing new ones, um, you know, to be, and we're a very individualistic society. And so it sort of moves from the business arena into uh, general life. So, and I do a lot of intercultural communication training uh, with folks moving all around the world, Mm. going through transitions. And so I think uh, the, the, the cultural aspects make me stop and say, you know what, there's so much that's cultural and there's so much that, individual, that is in, based on the individual that I, 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 I'm not going to make that um, assumption. Uh, you know, there's the belief that if you're extroverted, you're more, you know, you the way you process things, maybe you're more resilient. I, you know, no, I see, I see resilience 
in people in very, I think it comes, it's, it shows itself in very different ways. And that's why it's so important to consider your cultural background and the, and the culture in which you're operating as well as, um, you know, your own personal. And so um, I don't want people to think that resilience only looks one way. Right. No. Okay. Yeah. I, I will say that um, the seeds of hope, you know, come from gratitude often. Mm-hmm. And, and in dark times, it's hard to find things to be grateful for to the extent that we can uh, find, um, you know, and that can be through faith um, in relationships and connections. And it can be, you know, uh, in our own minds and emotionally and mentally. Uh, I think, I think there are, I think it can be a helpful um, it can be helpful for many people, even if they're not necessarily an optimistic person or from a culture that, you know, uh, embraces optimism and positivity. So I do think it's helpful to, to, to look for elements um, that are positive. But I think when, when times are very difficult, um, maybe if we focus a little bit more on gratitude, um, that, uh, the little things, yeah, um, yeah. then they build. Yeah, that makes me think of living perhaps more in the present and being mindful of what we have right now in the current yes. moment, yes, and, and focus right. a bit more on that because that's something that we can control to a certain extent, can't we? We can control what we have for lunch. or um, Right. Yeah, yeah, we can control right. small things that gives us right. perhaps that little element and sense of certainty in our lives when everything else is in disarray. Yeah. So do you have a framework or, or when you're working with, with clients and you're training, do you have a framework that you use to help people think about the different elements that they can pull together um, to to develop their, their resilience over time? So the, the short answer is that uh, in writing the book on uh, the Emotionally Resilient Expat, I wanted something that would be easy to kind of encapsulate a whole range. So I, I came up with the, 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 just the word factors, and that stands for family, which can be um, blood by marriage or by choice, and that, and that includes relationships and, and friendships and, and socialization. And then awareness um, in the broadest terms, but also in the more specific terms. Uh, communication, you know, we're humans, we must communicate, uh, uh, communicate our, our, our feelings, our emotions, our experiences and sharing. Uh, that's our connection it's, and connection is critical. And then T is transitions. I do have O for optimism, but I use it very broadly. It's not pretending that, you know, everything is great, um, but it's looking for, you know, all, um, uh, you know, the empathy, the compassion, the, the gratitude, the seeds of hope and so on. Mm-hmm. And then rituals, because I think they are important. That's what um, it helps ground us. It helps us uh, recall people and places that matter to us, uh, different times. Um, and then the, the significance that I talked about. And so as I work, as I do a lot of work now, especially in the coaching and training area, um, I'll look across a wide, wide range of uh, uh, areas. Um, and I have 13 that I've listed in the, the 
on the third page of the handout. Um, and it's there's an exercise that people can look at. And I think the whole idea there is I'm trying to get across. It's not that these are 13 areas that you should be, you know, if you scaled, you know, if you if you uh, assessed yourself, uh, did a self-assessment on scale one to 10 for each of them. The goal is not to have 13 tens. That's not it. It's to understand where you are and what you value most, because what I may feel or know intuitively that I may be lacking a little bit in and need to bolster is going to be different than what you choose for your circumstances or someone else chooses. And so it's really all about choice and then it's small steps. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, um, and it, and it builds from there. Yeah. And yeah. And uh, so those are available in this, the, the handouts. If you go to thrivingabroad.com and look for this episode with Linda Jansen, um, the handout will be there for you to download. So go and have a look at that. And I'm glad you said that it's not that you have to have a 10 in all of those 13, because I was looking at those no. thinking, oh, no, I've got no. work to do. But um, yeah, no, that absolutely makes sense that you dial up, dial down, depending on what's right. important to you. And, and also what you would assess, what we would have assessed three months ago would, you know, how we would have assessed ourselves was going to be different than if we do it right now. Yeah. And I thought, I think the whole point is I don't want people assessing every day, but I want, you know, look at period points in time and recognize, you know, um, needs change and what matters changes and that that's okay. That's natural. And, you know, it should reflect, you know, how you're really feeling and the circumstances you're in. Yeah. And that's a really important point, isn't it? Because I think that's something I've learned from relocating, you know, a number of times and, and starting again each time. I've kind of learned that, that needs change. Yeah, and I suppose we learn that as we progress through life anyway, because at different life stages, we have different priorities right. and, we, and things evolve. So um, uh, that, that definitely makes, makes absolute sense. So um, when you're thinking about um, sort of developing your, your resilience, um, how much does sort of emotional awareness play into this? So, you know, some people are very aware of their emotions and, and how they feel and others really never give it a second thought. So how do you work with people in, in that sense? Well, it, it depends. Uh, but I, but to, to answer the initial question, absolutely. Emotional intelligence and, and emotional and social intelligence are are considered emotional intelligence, two sides of the coin. Uh, emotional intelligence being uh, awareness of ourself and being able to manage ourself. And then the social side of the coin, uh, the social intelligence piece is social awareness and managing our relationships. And they can be uh, with, you know, with loved ones, with family, with friends, with, you know, um, acquaintances at work, uh, you know, with colleagues, with bosses and, and, and people who report to us and so on. Um, there are several pillars that are really critical to, um, to developing and enhancing uh, and replenishing uh, resilience and emotional and social intelligence. And for those of us operating in cross-cultural contexts, cultural intelligence. Those are, they're very important pillars and other important pillars um, are, you know, mindfulness and, uh, and there are other ones, but it's, these are critical. Uh, 
-hmm. And so, uh, and, and what, what lies behind it is, you know, where we place our attention matters. It does help create our mental outlook. So to the extent that we can, you know, we can look for um, those small seeds of hope, the, you know, the, if something, you know, it may not feel like a positive situation, but if I can find things that I can be thankful for, if I can express gratitude for something, uh, then that does help. But what I'd like to share today in thinking you don't have to think about everything you feel. Having feelings is natural and having bad feelings are natural. Mm -hmm. uh, to the extent that we're able to name them, it does help us, some of us, a little bit to release at least a little bit, almost like a, if you think of a pressure valve, when I can admit that I am, you know, I'm fearful, I'm scared, I'm upset, uh, I'm, I'm worried or concerned about something. You know, for some of us naming them, it can be, it can be you know, mind mapping, uh, getting them down on paper, uh, just speaking them. For some of us, naming is the beginning to help release yeah. a little bit about them. They're not going to disappear. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But regardless of the feelings, you don't, you're not required to think about them. You don't have to think about everything you feel. Now, that's harder to do than to say, but it's based on, William James has this great quote, the greatest weapon against stress is our ability to choose one thought over another. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not easy to do, but it is something that we, we can work toward. And yeah. so, you know, start with feelings and acknowledging those feelings because you feel them. And by acknowledging them doesn't mean that you're like, okay, now I'm going to wallow in them it's but it's like okay I feel that all right now what? and so remembering that you don't have to think about everything you feel that leads into you don't have to believe everything you think <laughs> and so if you think of your thoughts okay and you yeah, I mean we all have thoughts you know <laughs> millions of thoughts a day but we we don't have to believe them they can, if we think of them, the analogy is that they're like little clouds and mm -hmm. we can kind of watch them, you know, in our mind pop up and then treat them like a cloud and let them sort of drift on by. Over time, you know, this is part of mindfulness. It, it's, it does help you to release some of the thoughts not overnight, but over time, releasing some of the thoughts so that you um, you can help try to choose better thoughts to focus on. Like I'm gonna, okay, now I'm gonna think about this. Um, uh, but so we don't have to believe everything we think. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important because we do have a tendency, it's like, oh, I, I feel this way. Oh, it makes me think this way. It's got to be true. No, it doesn't have to be. Um, and and it does give us back a little bit more control over ourselves. So that's where um, three different, there's two biases that really pop in that I think are so important uh, that um, de deficit bias. 
we are more heavily influenced by negatives that we hear than any positive information or um, data that we get. And think about it. Everyone always remembers the person who criticizes us or one little criticism, one thing that went wrong, much more than we think about all the times people say, oh, good job, or, you know, oh, that was great, you know, and, and that's deficit bias. That's, that's not, not a flaw in us, that's deficit bias. So there's a benefit, to, first of all, to knowing that so that you can uh, try not to be as, as um, heavily influenced by the negativity. Uh, but it's also seeking what's actively seeking, okay, what's right or what's good at this moment in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and rather than focusing on what's wrong or bad and the, you know, in our brain, we have the, the reticular activating system, which is a fancy way of saying, it's like when, it's like when you're, if you're pregnant Everywhere you look, you see pregnant women. Okay, mm-hmm. they were there before, not those particular women, but they're there. You just happen to know it. When we actively ask ourselves to, to look for positive things, more, what's good in the world, what's right in the world, um, you know, those moments of hope when we hear all these stories of people helping each other and uh, helping themselves and giving and taking care of other people, you know, even from afar, you know, then that your mind starts looking for those things and then we can concentrate on positivity. And I know people, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole um, series of work on happiness. I'm not talking about that. Positivity is a concept that came up that there's, there are 10 positive attributes like love and joy and, and all that are so important, confidence and so on that are so important. And, but it's positivity is a, is a concept that is, Increase the positives while decreasing the minuses. Looking for opportunities to increase positives in your life while di- decreasing some of the minuses. And that's hard right now when there are a lot of minuses for people to juggle. So increasing whatever think, positives you can help. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I, think, I think an important point to add in there, though, also is that it's fine to have a combination of of the positivity and the sense of the negative there, the slight struggle, because that's part of life. And there will always be some struggle, you know, um, for many of us at different points, obviously, but, you know, and we dial up and down on that. Um, So just being, I suppose, yeah, I, I felt myself doing this over the last few weeks. So looking for the positive in the local situation, what's going on at home, um, that doesn't mean I'm negating any of the negative because there's so much negative as well, you know, but I just choose not to be consumed by that all of the time, but it doesn't mean right. I'm not acknowledging it because I think it is important that we acknowledge it because it's part of yes. making a sense, sense of what's happening around the world. And exactly. Personally. Yeah. 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 I mean, and, and that's, I mean, you're absolutely right because I mean, that's resilience in a nutshell, making sense and making meaning mm. of what's going on. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and and all, and so related to deficit bias, uh, we also have confirmation bias, and so we have a tendency to look for evidence to support our own beliefs. And you see this in politics all the time, but you see it in all sorts of areas, and we tend to misinformation. So, um, at least if we're going to, 
if we look for the best in ourselves and others, it does help us avoid uh, that the deficit bias and confirmation bias um, that, um, you know, if, especially if our confirmation bias is, oh, the wor- everything in the world is horrible, there is no good. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that, that's, that's destructive and, um, and soul crushing. And it's, and it's not true. So it is finding those rays of hope. And then temporal distancing is the last piece of that I think is really important to emotional and social intelligence, not the only, but the three I wanted to share today. And that's encouraging future thinking. When you put yourselves into the future, it does, it offers perspective. It makes you feel better. It's reassuring. It, it elicits hope. It gets you thinking about, okay, possibilities. Um, It reinforces the temporary nature um, and that, that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be long-term consequences. There will be. But, but the way we're living now, um, exactly right now, it's not going to carry uh, into the future forever. Um, and, and, if, and if certain aspects do, we're, we're going to become accustomed to them. Um, it helps uh, us think in terms of survival and overcoming obstacles. And it does reduce anxiety. It doesn't mean it's going to be rosy. It just means, you know, when I look back, and that's true, you know, think of, you know, family members looking back and remembering, you know, very difficult times. Even within your own life, you can do that. Um, And so then it all kind of rolls up then into you don't have to act on everything you feel, think, and believe, and um, which is choice. And, And those choices enhance control. And I do not mean that it, you just choose not to um, feel badly or you choose not to think about difficult things or that you choose not to believe um, that there are, you know, difficult or dire consequences at play. I don't mean that. It's just that um, you can chip away at it and, and, um, and find areas that give yourself choice. And when you can choose, we can, we can feel a little bit more control. We don't control, you know, it always goes back to, you can't control um, the circumstances or, you know, what other people say or do. You, you have control over your own actions and your own, um, what you say. Uh, yes. And so, you know, and so that level of control when you feel a little bit more in control of yourself, how extends your situation. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I can relate that to sort of my, in fact, I think I wrote about this in a blog post with one of the other podcasts the other day, but um, yeah, gradually getting, going to bed later and later, just because there's no absolute need to be up at 7.30 at the moment or 6.30. And, and mm-hmm. that for me just is a disaster because I actually also wake up early. I'm not a great long liar in. So I end up just getting tireder and tireder, which doesn't help at all <laughs> in this situation. Right. I feel refreshed. And, and because the whole sort of emotional intensity of it means that I think a lot of us are feeling quite tired anyway. So whether I sleep eight hours, I still wake up feeling, oh, I could do with another eight hours sometimes. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. 
So I decided and, right, I've got to pivot this and, and get my life under control in the sense that I will go to bed earlier and I will get up early and um, that's just how I feel better. So it works best for me. I'm not saying it works for everyone, but for me it does. So that's taking some form of control of my life and I'm sure people listening can think of things that they could do in small ways right. that, that would help. Yeah. yeah. Well, it gets, it, it gets back to, you know, um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs mm -hmm. and 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 we are individuals and we have unique situations uh, and so it, you know if you think about it uh, you, you start out with your physiological needs you know do we have shelter do we have enough to eat uh, you know we're breathing we're alive mm -hmm. and then you move up to security and safety and that's that can be tenu very tenuous those those two levels you know a lot of us have fallen down the or come down to the lower levels on certain issues uh, yes. in our current situation and that we need to understand that and accept that and recognize it and accept it and then that you know give ourselves you know the opportunity to work through some of the challenges you know it's people that are like oh, you know go learn a new language or write a book or you know uh, King Lear was written, you know, by Shakespeare during the plague. It's like, okay, thank you. That's great. And, you know, if that's where you are, great. But, you know, kind of sharing that with everyone else and making people feel guilty because they're, they're tired. I, you know, I find it that, you know, when I'm doing, I have an idea of what I want to get done in a day. And it's a lot less now than it was two months ago. Um, and if I, you know, overextend, then I have to pull back. But, you know, and I think, every, well, I think a lot of people are dealing with that. But, but the whole idea is that we'll work our way back up and, um, and, and, and we will develop those, we'll get those muscles again where we'll get a little bit, we can focus a little bit longer and so on. But we should not beat ourselves up if we can't. Yeah, no. Right now. No, 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 definitely. Um, and I guess that's all about thinking and putting our health and mental well-being first and foremost, isn't it? And oh, absolutely. thinking about, you know, what we're feeding ourselves with in terms of, yeah, media, but also nutritionally and um, physically in terms of exercise and so on. So mm -hmm. being conscious yeah. about that input, yeah, because it does have an impact on the output for sure. I know that from experience, yeah, yeah. And so that get, that gets back then to the third the third area very quickly um, that I wanted to share and remind people of is that the one thing we do have going for us is that we do have healthy feel good chemicals within us uh, that we can get working for us, and so to our hormones, endorphins and oxytocin, and to our uh, neurotransmitters, dopamine and serotonin, and if we if we just remember them, we can think about little things we can do to encourage them. So endorphins, most people know of it as the runner's high, but you know, it's hormones release that, you know, they lessen our ability to register discomfort or pain and actually make us feel good. And so whenever you do something where that you enjoy, where you're sort of getting into the flow, where you're a little bit challenged, but you're pretty good at something and you, you enjoy it, 
not zoning out, but I mean, actually enjoying it. You get into the flow and that, I mean, for uh, athletes know it or people, people, in, you know, uh, working on fitness will know it, exercise, walking. That's why you feel better after a walk because your endorphins kick in and it gives you a, a little positive, you know, so even, I mean, even if you're in a, stuck in a little tiny, tiny apartment, um, you know, laps around your living room, um, it, you know, maybe you only have six steps, you know, just walking up and down the steps, do it for a couple, two minutes, and you will actually start to feel the endorphins. Mm -hmm. And then oxytocin is, um, it's the social bonding uh, feeling that's associated with love, you know, uh, it's, it, we, it, it comes out when we see babies. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, you know, it's part of our nature, it's a hormone and uh, any sort of uh, social alliance when we fall in love. But, but um, we're not if we're not getting, you know, if, if we're not able to get the physical connection, and, you know, that and the touch or the hugs that we, you know, and seeing people that we want, getting them online is the next best thing, picking up the phone, expressing concern about somebody else, having conversations, sharing, you know, again, you start to feel very positive. Um, and that's the oxytocin kicking in. The, the two neurotransmitters are dopamine and serotonin. And basically dopamine is when you're working on something that's difficult or tricky uh, or challenging, uh, and it can be, you know, figuring out uh, an idea to resolve something, you know, whether it's work or at home, it can be, um, it can be, you know, people puzzles, it can be, you know, all kinds of things. When you figure something out and you have that aha moment, um, like, oh, I get it. That you get a little rush from that. So, you know, if you think about, okay, what can I be thinking about or, you know, doing that gives me that feeling? And then the serotonin is uh, when it's similar, but it's, it's a sense of pride or accomplishment. Um, and it's that little hit you get when you have worked on something that's really important and uh, you get it done you know, and you get a little boost of serotonin. So to the extent that, you know, we can think of little ways in our lives to boost any of these feel good chemicals, um, they're there. And uh, you know, every little bit helps get us through. Yeah, yeah. So our built in chemist. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, I think that has given us a very comprehensive overview of you know, resilience and what um, we can do to help contribute and sort of develop that in ourselves um, through challenging times. So I really appreciate that um, contribution, Linda. And so I will put the notes that Linda has created as a download on the blog post associated with this, um, with, with this episode. So please oh, thank go you. download that and um, and a great summary of the notes. And then there's a little exercise there for you to assess your own um, level of yeah satisfaction, I guess, with those 13 important areas in your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Louise. I really appreciate it. I, you know, and we, we got a boat. I hope we both got a little boost of oxytocin. <laughs> I think we definitely did. Well, I definitely did. I think oxytocin I and actually some serotonin there as well going on. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank yeah, you. I now I enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Linda. Thanks.
Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. And thank you so much for listening. I hope this interview has inspired you to appreciate the multifaceted elements of your resilience and given you ideas into how you can support yourself and your own resilience in challenging times. You can download Linda's notes and the assessment that she spoke about during our conversation from the blog post for episode 19 on the Thriving Abroad website. And while you're there, why not sign up to receive the regular podcast newsletter, where I provide regular podcast updates, show notes and associated links and resources. I'll be back soon with the last instalment in this Thriving Abroad Together series. Meanwhile, if you'd like to get in touch with me, please email me louise at louisewiles.com. Wherever you are in the world, please stay safe and well. Bye-bye for now.